I have to pick wisely. Ding dongs or cheese sticks? I don't care. Pick whatever. Well, I don't care either, so. So I guess we'll just start. Are you ever gonna stop being mad at me? I'm not mad at you. All right. Well, why would I be mad at you? Because you walked in on me with another girl? Actually, I think she was a woman. But why would I care about that? I don't know. Shouldn't be a problem. There's no problem. Except ding dong your cheese sticks. I don't care, Ryan. I don't care about cheese sticks, and I don't care about ding dongs, and I really don't care that I walked in on you with some girl or woman. Whatever. The only reason I was with her was because you were clearly back with Luke. I was not back with Luke. We are now, right? Great. So we'll just get to Mexico, split up, and we don't ever have to talk to each other again. Sounds like a plan. By the way, could have knocked first. Did you ever wonder why I came to the pool house to find you? Every day. Here's your chance. Clear the air. Tell me. Cheese sticks. I hate ding dongs. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 233, the OC, season one, episode seven, The Escape. Yes, returning to California. Not feeling very sunny in the uh, recording space tonight. (laughs) Yeah, we definitely have some mood candles going, but no electricity in the studio right now. (laughs) Recording in the dark. Sort of unexpected. It's not raining. I mean, it was raining earlier, but it's not like some crazy storm is going on. You just happen to say, hey, don't worry if the power goes out, we're still able to record. (laughs) Yeah, I jinxed it, I think, by saying that. Yeah, that was wild. All right, so this is your punishment for not downloading The Fly. We're going to TV. (laughs) We're doing OC episodes. Anytime there's a disappointing slump in the download numbers, we're going back to the OC. (laughs) That's right. Because I know no one that listens to this podcast is interested in this. I'm always ready to dive back in, though. I'm kind of like the listeners where it's like, oh, no. But then when I start watching it, I'm like, oh, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to overstate things, but I do think that, A, this is the most enthused I've ever been to do an episode, and B, the OC, for at least part of the first season, is as good as TV gets. Yeah. (laughs) Then just a dramatic drop-off. I don't think I'm exaggerating that. (laughs) It is It's really that good. Yeah. We already talked about the pilot that was way back on May 23rd, 2016. Holy shit. The first year of the show, so over five years ago. (laughs) Yikes. 
And now here we are again. It's been a little bit since we've done some TV. I don't think we're going to be doing a ton of more TV this year in the regular episodes. Now, that might be a little teaser for something coming your way later this week. Oh. But we might be transitioning a lot of our TV content into something else on the feed <laughs> uh, beyond just the regular episodes. But we'll see how that plays out. People are like, oh, are they bringing back On the Record? <laughs> yeah, On the Record TV. <laughs> Okay, so we thank you for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter, at Pod, where I may or may not tweet like once or twice a week, so it's not going to really clog up your feed or anything. <laughs> you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, whatever. Other places, maybe. Give People us a rating say. and review, please, if you find the time. Although, maybe sample some other episodes beyond just the OC if you're not a fan of that. <laughs> we cover a wide variety. We go from There Will Be Blood to the OC in just two moves. Yeah. <laughs> if you'd like a sticker, let us know on Twitter. And you can follow us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby. And I think that's everything right that sums it up okay i remember distinctly watching the oc from the very first episode it aired on fox it started in the summer during summer break i was heading into my sophomore year in college and it was unique because they didn't wait for the fall season to start to air the pilot they aired it in the summer to get people riled up i guess when there was no competition cuz now they yeah. basically have three different seasons all year round so it doesn't work quite the same way as it used to with tv used to be like the summer was dead like reruns specials whatever and then everything would start back up in the fall they don't really like do it like that anymore but i can remember watching this from day one were you a day oneer on the oc i I remember the show coming out like being aware of it it's hard for me to remember now if i actually (laughs) saw the first episode i kind of feel like this was one of those shows where I end up starting around like the third episode and then you're right. Like what? They're already referencing like this kid, like burned down somebody's house. (laughs) (laughs) A lot happens in just the first two episodes. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to remember if I was actually in from the pilot, but I was definitely aware of it when it came on. I I can remember there being radio ads for it, which is kind of insane. Oh yeah. There used to be radio ads for TV all the time. There probably still is. Yeah. I don't know, but I have a very distinct memory of it for this show. And like Peter Gallagher being involved <laughs> for some he reason. He was the big draw. Yeah, yeah. Well, the kids were unknown, of course, for the most part. That's so, right. yeah. But I would say Peter Gallagher was unknown for me, too. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't a big while you were sleeping fan? No, no. That's, that's my only reference, really. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was interesting for our younger listeners out there if what Matt says is true and he joined for the third episode. <laughs> This was a time pre-dating on demand. That's right. So it wasn't like you could just catch up. I remember this well. I was going to say I should have gone back and listened to the first OC episode that we did to make sure I didn't like say anything contradicting myself. <laughs> and that one, I'm like, yeah, I was definitely in for the pilot. <laughs> but yeah, I had this experience a lot watching television growing up where like a show would start and it's either you come in in the middle of or you miss an episode. You kind of had to like use your imagination to like fill in some of the gaps. Oh yeah, there was no how do I figure out how to watch this episode again? 
Yeah, you had to wait till they would rerun it, which they did. But then you might get you might get confused as to what order things were supposed to be in. It just wasn't. And I as, never knew when they they were going to rerun things. Yeah, it just wasn't as structured as it is now. You'd have to rely on like TV Guide, the magazine, yeah. <laughs> or the Guide Channel. But sometimes that information wouldn't be right. Oh, so yeah. you're like, is this episode one? Is this episode two? I don't know. On demand definitely changed my life for the better. <laughs> Just yours, no one else. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird to think that there were years of my life where even watching like Sopranos or something, it's like, oh, I was 15 minutes late. <laughs> So I just missed the first 15 minutes, and that's like it. Oh, yeah. Appointment TV. That used to be how everything was. That's you right. couldn't mess around unless you recorded it on your VCR or something until people got, like, TiVos, I guess. So this episode originally aired September 16th, 2003. This is the seventh episode of the season, so you can do the math as to when the first six would have started. We're talking midsummer almost. It was written by Josh Schwartz, who was also the creator of the show. It was directed by Sanford Bookstaver. I don't know if a lot of OC fans or fanatics feel the same way about this particular episode that I do, but I think it's sort of a defining episode of the first season for a lot of reasons. But it may not be the reasons you would first suspect, since it deals a lot with Marissa's spiraling, which is a big theme of the show. I think it's a defining episode because of the Summer and Seth dynamics. I think this is a big turning point. This is where yeah. you understand where the rest of this season is going with that storyline. Well, that was definitely the storyline I was most invested in as a viewer. I think a lot of viewers felt the same, even yeah. though it seemed like Ryan and Marissa was like the big push. The main, right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about season one up until this episode. I think Insane. I have a... How about that? Yeah. Just wild. I have a specific description of the preceding episode that we'll get to in a minute. But just in general, the show focuses on Ryan Atwood, played by Ben McKenzie, who is a troubled but gifted kid from the wrong side of the tracks, meaning Chino, who ends up adopted into the family of his court-appointed lawyer, Sandy Cohen, played by Peter Gallagher. Can't help but feel like this is kind of unethical, a professional conflict, something... No, I don't think it's a conflict. Uh, Your lawyer is speaking for you. Yeah, okay. I don't know. All right. It seems weird. Well, he's not really like in an ongoing (laughs) trial or anything. Yeah. All right. Okay, so it all checks out then. Sandy's wife, Kirsten, played by Kelly Rowan, is loaded, which is where their lavish lifestyle comes from. Together, they have a son named Seth, played by Adam Brody, who is Ryan's age. Ryan's introduction into the Newport Beach social scene sparks a lot of drama and serves as the catalyst for a lot of changes, most notably involving the girl next door, Marissa, played by Misha Barton. The community not thrilled with Ryan's appearance and refusal to leave the community. Ryan's presence also seems to give Seth the confidence to pursue his mega-crush Summer, played by Rachel Bilson. Marissa's uh, mega crush as well. (laughs) Marissa's current boyfriend, Luke, played by Chris Carmack. And her parents, Jimmy and Julie Cooper, played by Tate Donovan and Melinda Clark, also factor in heavily at the beginning of season one. It's funny watching this show now because the way Marissa dresses, you can remember girls dressing like that. Oh, yeah. 
just nonstop lip gloss, <laughs> lip gloss for days. <laughs> a lot of fake tan, a lot of yeah. midriff, low rise jeans, a lot of butt crack. Although you don't see it on the show, but yeah. that's like that was the style. Just a completely different era in terms right. of clothing. A lot of super like, skinny was sweat in skirt, <laughs> like you know, like sweater material, like as a skirt. <laughs> well, like sweatshirt material. Yeah, yeah, sweatshirt. Yeah, yeah, and velour sweatsuits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a big part of the first season is Will, Ryan, and Marissa get it together and make it work. They have the obstacle of Luke plus Marissa's mom, Julie, who's trying desperately to keep them apart. I got to tell you, rewatching this, and I kind of feel like I said this the last time with the DOC. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just say it again. Ryan fucking stinks. <laughs> I like, cannot stand Ryan. Yeah, he is pretty annoying. There's definitely <laughs> some cringe moments between him and the Coens. The way he acts all the time is just so unbelievable. <laughs> I actually do buy a lot of the characters on this show. A lot of them are over the top, but I don't know. A lot of them seem like they're having like fairly normal interactions. Ryan, I never feel that way. He's always kind of just like sulking around and, and Yeah. And when he tries to be funny, it's oh, definitely yeah. not funny. He's always referencing where he comes from. It's just like, all right, dude. Yeah, I actually found his interactions with Marissa to be more believable than his interactions with Sandy and Kirsten. I would agree with Which that. I find yeah. to be embarrassing, and you almost have to look away from the screen. Right. Especially when he's just staying. I guess I won't start with... unpacking. Yeah, when he's staying with yeah. them, but he hasn't been like fully adopted into the family. That is rough. Yeah. <laughs> that whole saga, the fact that they weren't able to play that out for longer either. It's so sudden because there's the episode with his mom, episode three, and her just drunken meltdown at <laughs> casino night. But then that's enough for Kirsten to just be like, all right, he lives with... Well, there's a little bit more to it, but... Yeah. She's just like, okay, well, he lives with us now. (laughs) (laughs) This is permanent. You're part of our family. That ties in with what you were saying. It may have been off mic, but when we were talking about the Luke character and how quickly he just sort of turns into just one of the gang later in season one. It's all part of what I thought was a push on the show where this early stuff is just introduction to how they're turning it into like a 90210. Like a hangout show. Where yeah, where it's hang just, out with you have a cast of like eight or nine people. I thought that Anna was going to stay on the show and Luke was going to, you know, they, they yeah, were yeah. all going to be part of this like larger group. Holly. Well, maybe not Holly, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah, like yeah, right. they were just building an ensemble slowly and that this was just the introduction that's not quite how it played out but that's how it seemed for a while during season one because folks this is another thing indicative of the times this is a hour-long drama a soap opera basically that continues from episode to episode there are 27 episodes (laughs) in season one it's insane alone that's why it's so hard to stick with it that's why i've never really made it beyond the first season there's so many story arcs that start and finish just in those first 27 that would be an entire run of a show now yeah and every storyline that you're interested in they just can't keep it going like they just tie it off so quick and early i think season two had 24 25 same with season three the only one that was shorter was season four and that was because it was a limited order because the ratings were falling off a cliff by that point but you're talking about 
an entire show, an entire existence of a lot of shows, just in one season of this. I know this wasn't like a turning point, but it does feel like it marks where this is like where lessons should have started to be learned. Oh, yeah. There wasn't much time left for this stuff. Because I think today now procedurals and stuff there's still a ton of episodes but they don't continue a storyline like this where you have to like come up with new stories to continue and continue and continue it seems so incredibly nuts to even think about somebody like pitching this now hey let's do 27 episodes of a show in one year well i'm sure that the writers and the people creating this show if they would have been given that choice of like only doing 10 or 12 they right. probably would have jumped at no, it no yeah absolutely it's certainly a lot less work but it just seems insane it just seems like so much so ryan's fight to survive in the oc in shark infested waters is a big part of season 1 and it defines his standings with marissa who is definitely very interested in him and is not judgmental like her mother. But there's a series of misunderstandings and miscommunications and bad timing. And then Luke gets shot. <laughs> Should we point it out, by the way, Marissa's mother, Julie Cooper, one of the great television villains of all time. If not the great. Yeah. <laughs> I do love Julie Cooper. Just vile. <laughs> Just a mean bitch, but like super hot. <laughs> Marissa's drama, even aside from Ryan is also a huge factor in the show. In episode one, which we covered on this podcast, she gets drunk, blackout drunk. Seems to be something that happens a lot that ties in with this episode. I thought it would be interesting to do this episode on the podcast, even though the first one we did was five years ago, because it does sort of serve as like a continuation of some of the darkness from that first episode where That's you're right. like, okay, she's, yeah. she clearly is unhappy. We've got Mazzy star back in the mix. Yeah. Ryan has entered her life at a weird time where I think like Julie blames Ryan, but I think even without Ryan, I think oh, yeah. there would be a lot of problems. Obviously going on with something Marissa. was already going on. And I even think Marissa says that in the next episode, the rescue to her mom. Yeah, her father's secret threatens to tear the family apart. He's sort of the Bernie Madoff of Newport Beach, running a Ponzi scheme, essentially. Yeah. Her sister is played by baby Shailene Woodley. (laughs) I know, that was kind of jarring to see. Although I believe she is replaced by a different actress later in the show's run. And, of course, her overbearing mother, Julie Cooper, as you said, the villain. That's right. In a lot of ways. I do love the villains on this show just as much as anything else because Kirsten's father, Caleb Nickel, also a great villain. Just super evil. <laughs> so Almost like evil madman. gleefully destroying the environment. <laughs> <laughs> and this show came out of a time where pre-Twitter, pre-Reddit, pre-internet backlash, there could be an argument oh, of yeah. like why that would be a good idea. Now... Of course, that's not going to fly, and Sandy would be the baby face in the marriage. Kirsten would be horrible for oh, even yeah. like fighting the other side. I do love, I mean, it goes beyond this episode, of course, but the whole storyline that he's going to basically take on this case going yeah. against her company. <laughs> yeah, they really develop a lot in the first season. But, of course, Summer and Seth... The story of our lifetimes. That's right. The love affair of our times, really. Yeah. 
We have the whole love triangle with Anna looming. She appears in one of these first seven episodes as like a little teaser. That's right. Because she she comes back when school starts. From Pittsburgh. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that was great. Yeah. That was great revisiting <laughs> that moment <laughs> with Summer. But Summer's evolution is also one of the more fun things of the show because yeah. she's actually sort of repulsive in the pilot. I would say so. I don't think they really thought that she was going to factor in as much later based on how awful they make her in that first episode. Right. I really doubt that they thought that... I don't know what they thought, though, because apparently Schwartz did like map out so much of the first season before they even started, but... How? It just seems crazy, though, that they made her so unappealing. Yeah, it was going to be like a reverse Breaking Bad situation. <laughs> Breaking good. Yeah. <laughs> With Summer Roberts. Summer is fun, though. She's ditzy, yeah, of course. Yeah, she gets but... fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. I think in the first episode, you're kind of supposed to feel like pretty much everyone in Newport is horrible, though. Yeah, but I think you like Marissa, though. That's you... true. Because she's not very judgmental she's not mean really she stands out because of that that's true i guess like oh we're back in business power back on (laughs) i guess summer has to be won over and transformed but marissa was already there that's right (laughs) do you think anybody's thought this much about the oc the summer thing i think it's like a defense mechanism for her too she just has to treat people like shit yeah yeah (laughs) I'll, i'll buy that there we go all right, so leading into episode seven, we have episode six, The Girlfriend. I'm going to give a quick synopsis so people know where we are, because I'm assuming that even if you did watch The O.C. back in the day, you're not going to want to watch all seven episodes to enjoy this podcast with us. That's so a shame. You're missing out. You should. Out. It's on HBO yeah. Max. Check it out right now. It's newly remastered in <laughs> HD. Yeah. It well, looks incredible. When, well, when we did it, the pilot five years ago, it was on Hulu, and it was not widescreen oh really okay i didn't even remember that well you should (laughs) no it looks good (laughs) in episode six kirsten's father caleb arrives in newport for his birthday putting the cohen's and ryan on their toes caleb's much much younger girlfriend gabrielle immediately makes a move on ryan yeah as Marissa can't seem to make up her mind between him and Luke, because remember, Luke is recovering from a gunshot. There's definitely <laughs> some darkness with the Gabrielle character. I love Gabrielle. Yeah, but I, when she, when Caleb is sort of like summoning her, and she's like, "Okay, back to work." Oh yeah, she talks about how yeah. like she wishes that she was as miserable as Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like she just so dead inside. Right. Ultimately, shit hits the fan at the birthday party when Marissa walks in on Ryan and Gabrielle making out. She then decides to take off with Luke and lose her virginity to him. Meanwhile, Seth and Summer spend an awkward night together where it's clear she's only using him to be able to attend the party, but ultimately, she kisses him when he reveals just how true his feelings are for her. So this is another example of one of those things where your creepy crush on someone yeah. pays off. Right. Sort of like can't hardly wait where you're in like, in a way that it the... doesn't ever really happen in real life. Yeah. This is the yeah. ideal dream version of that where you've been pining after someone for so long. And then 
it somehow works out well, the where they're is, like, oh, that's great. It does seem kind of sweet when he remembers like the poem or whatever. But then when he's actually reciting it, <laughs> it's too much. Oh, yeah. That, he that's went the too thing. far. Right. Yeah. I don't think she would be making out with him. After Here's that. a doll I made out of yeah. hairs that I collected <laughs> that fell off yeah. of her head. <laughs> what was that? Slackers? Oh, yeah. Remember that? <laughs> All right. So let's get into the escape. One of the classic episodes from season one, in my opinion. One thing that's pretty cool about the OC is that they do the cold open. That's right. <laughs> they yeah. give you that little taste of where we're at, <laughs> what the story's going to be. Where we're heading. Yeah. yeah, they always set up the story, then they hit you with the fucking Phantom Planet. Yeah. Controversial takes. A lot of people think Phantom Planet is the band to associate with the OC. Nope. Massey Star. I think it's actually Death Cab. Yeah, that's true. There is a lot of... Well, Death Cab is in an episode. Yeah, they became like the official OC band. And this is the first episode with a Death Cab song. And I love that like Summer just like roasts it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Summer is a ball buster. That's for sure. There's a lot of wild shit that Summer says in this episode. (laughs) When she's referencing Days of Thunder. Oh, Cold Trickle. Yeah. Yeah, this is a time whenever it was like normal to be like, oh yeah, we have like sort of a superficial chick. Of course, they're gonna love Tom Cruise. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would never happen now. People would be like, "Are you insane?" Right. <laughs> okay, Ryan and Seth have this plan. Well, I guess it's more Seth to be honest. Seth wants to go to Tijuana, where all the cool kids go before school starts. Yeah, it's like uh, the Tom Cruise movie, losing it. Actually, That's I guess this plot. was a thing people. Or is a thing people do in Southern California. Us East Coasters can't really relate no. to it. There's not a lot of quick jaunts to Mexico from Pittsburgh. <laughs> no. I don't really have any real-life comparison for something like this. I never really went anywhere. I feel like I would have been <laughs> terrified to do this. Yeah, me too. It just seems like too many things could go wrong. Right. Well, And, and it's almost shocking things don't go more wrong for Marissa in that bar. Oh, yeah, they definitely flirt with that idea, which I thought was kind of over the top. A little bit. They were really trying to get you riled up. (laughs) Well, the whole end of this episode is insanely over the top, including whatever that weird song is that plays in the background. Not Mazzy Star, but when she's, like, fucked up in that bar, and it's almost like a spoken word song. Right. Yeah, well, there is a a podcast with Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark where they go through episode by episode, and we'll talk about that a little bit later just some of the things that I learned from that episode that talks about this one when we actually get to Tijuana. But, you know, there really wasn't a lot to glean from that podcast, but there's a few things, including Melinda Clark's real-life experience doing stuff like this, (laughs) (laughs) which I didn't find surprising, really. Yeah, yeah. She She seemed like she would have been popular. Down to go to TJ. (laughs) Oh, that's a whole other thing. Which I believe is real. I believe that the kids there really do call it TJ. I fucking hate it, though. I hate it so much. Especially when Marissa says it. She just has a way of saying TJ where you're just like, oh my god, shut up. So the plan that Seth has is, because now he's feeling himself. Seth is on top of the world. Yeah. This, you get this. He finally kissed his crush of 15 years or whatever it is. and (laughs) Maybe not 15, but... 10 years. And... Although, when we were texting about the show, because that's right, folks, it's not enough that, you know, we do a podcast episode on it. We'll text while we're watching <laughs> the thing. You made a good point that, it, like, I hadn't even given any thought, but you're like, 
I've watched however many episodes of this now. No idea what grade they're supposed to be in. I, I think they didn't want to commit too early. Yeah. Because they didn't really... They were like, well, we might want to do multiple seasons, so we should not make them seniors. But they, but the things they do seem like they're seniors. Yeah. And there doesn't seem like there's anybody older than them. Right, right. But I don't know. Maybe they are. I, I can't really tell. Yeah. Well, I, I know when Ryan's trying to get into like the nice private school... Kirsten's like, you could go here for like one or two years and you'll be like in a lot better shape. <laughs> like, whatever. Yeah. So Seth wants to take his mom's Range Rover to sneak down to Tijuana with the cover of going to a comic book convention, which was essentially the epitome of geek culture in 2003. But now Comic Con is one of the biggest industry events, if not the biggest. I know, it's weird. Going to Tijuana is a tradition, it's a rite of passage, at least in Seth's mind. And now, because Summer has kissed him, he has all this confidence. He knows that Summer's going to go. He needs to be where Summer is. Summer, we're going to find out, has reacted to their kiss a little differently than Seth. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think she's as as excited. She was more thinking of that as sort of a one-off thing to forget about. (laughs) (laughs) But for Seth, it's life-changing. Yeah, I think I've had some of those moments in my life. Ryan is hesitant. For a lot of reasons. He doesn't want to get into trouble because it seems like he's always afraid of being sent out of there. And he's essentially still stinging from what happened with Marissa because after he shed Gabrielle from Caleb's party, he goes outside to see Marissa coming back from fucking Luke. And (laughs) in a hilarious moment, she just looks at him and says, you're too late. Yeah. (laughs) And I was just like, what? I guess the implication was this pussy's been fucked. (laughs) You're too late. (laughs) I don't know. It was a symbolic she's committing herself to Luke. Yes, that is what it is, but it just was weird. (laughs) These people are so overly dramatic about everything. There's some great interactions in this episode where I was like almost dying laughing, but I was loving it, though. I was like, this is so great. (laughs) The vending machine scene. Do I need to say more? Right. (laughs) I was screaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's another one of those scenes that the way Ryan's acting, it makes my skin crawl. I don't know. I thought he was great. I thought he was great in that scene. I was like, you need. sometimes you need to be like so dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Although, we'll get there. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> one thing I noticed in the opening credits is we're seven episodes deep and we're still guest starring Rachel Bilson. That jumped out to me, too. My memory was she was like main cast right out of the gate. I guess it's something that I never would have thought about back then. But I don't know. You just remember the magazines and you see the four stars. Yeah. It it seemed shocking to me that she wasn't main think, cast uh, like this deep into it. I think Melinda Clark was also a guest star. Yes, still. she was. It took a little while to bump them up. That happens a lot, though, with new shows. I think they're only guaranteed probably by the network like a certain amount of money and a certain amount of slots for stars and then they're gonna see how it goes and then they bump people up like almost everyone from the office was like not a main cast member at first and then they like added all those people from the office you know it just it's something that happens a lot but by this point summer has had a lot of screen time oh yeah and if they would have axed her from the cast i would have stopped watching i was like so invested in summer by this point (laughs) (laughs) seth and ryan continue to plan and discuss this trip ryan is reluctantly going to go while next door separately marissa and summer do the same 
Summer wants those sex details because it's taken a while for Marissa to lose that V card. Marissa doesn't feel like details. Summer's, Summer's like, let like, me hear about that details. dick. <laughs> she basically is like, let me hear about that dick. Yeah, yeah. And then she gets up, puts her arm above her head like she's doing a lasso and like swivels her hips saying giddy up in one of the more embarrassing moments. That was disturbing, I found. I wasn't really into this. I will say, I'm not going to re- refer to the podcast with Rachel Bilson and Melinda Clark a lot, but I will say that Rachel Bilson also seemed pretty embarrassed yeah, and horrified yeah. by this. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> what Marissa doesn't realize, though, is that her world will be falling down all around her very, very, very soon. Unbeknownst to her, her parents are definitely separating due to her father's financial crimes, which is a weird little plot development over the early part of season one where we find out that Jimmy's a fraud. Jimmy's been taking his investors' money to keep his family's lavish lifestyle afloat. That's crazy to get away with with that for so long. And I know there's been obviously pretty big real-life examples of this happening and not that long ago. But you would think in like the modern era where it's like with the internet and stuff, it's like... Well, I don't even think Bernie Madoff had happened yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you just think if you're investing money in something, you you would have something where, you're, like today, where it's like, oh, some sort of application where you can like check in on right. what's going on with it. Yeah, I guess it just speaks to like these people being oblivious and just trusting Jimmy. And it seemed like he was reputable for a while. Yeah, and then yeah, it, he thinks right. Things fell apart, and I guess he's lost $4 million. We're going to find out at some point. Yeah, it seemed like he started making a lot of bad investments and then just got caught chasing it. But the reason why this is weird is that it does set up that Julie's going to want to leave him and everything, and it it fucks up Marissa's world. But ultimately, his crimes are, like, swept under the rug. Well, that's thanks to Sandy Cohen. Right, but it seems like it's a little too easy. Yeah, I know. Because it seems like he's definitely going to jail, and then all of a sudden, he's just not. And yeah. that's the end of that. But then you think after that, he would definitely be killed by someone in the neighborhood. Cause it's just... Well, he has to make restitution, but they would never yeah. say how he's doing that. Right. They're like, well, he has to move into this quote-unquote shitty apartment right, that's like nicer, like nicer than, than any anywhere. apartment I've ever lived in. <laughs> I was thinking that, too. I was like, I wish I was like $4 million in the hole. Yeah. <laughs> how does he get a lease? Like, I who's know. paying for this? Right. Because... Whatever his job was, he lost it. Certainly. All right. In fact, Jimmy's planning on moving out into an apartment that very same weekend that Marissa's away. He can't really bear to have his daughters watch him pack up. Just a cowardly move. He kind of makes it worse as yeah. this episode right. goes. <laughs> I mean, at least it's it doesn't go unchecked. Kirsten is like, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, Kirsten is sort of a, a moral center of the show. Well, both her and Sandy. Degree. Yeah. Marissa's dad doesn't care at all that they're going to Tijuana, which when you compare that to the Cohen situation is completely different and I think is an indication of what it's like in the Cooper household, what Marissa's life is like. Because Marissa seems to be living that less than zero life. Right. No rules. No rules. No one seems to care what she does. She gets blackout drunk. No one even notices. They're out at that same beach house like every night. (laughs) There's a scene of Marissa getting hot and heavy with Luke, but stops when she starts worrying about her dad. And Luke says, you're thinking about your dad right now? And I was like... (laughs) Luke's 
take should have been, I'm your dad now. Yeah. <laughs> like, stop thinking about that I guy. I know that's where that was heading. I don't know. It just was weird that they're, like, about to have sex, and then that's where it went. I was yeah. just, I, you know, I couldn't help it. <laughs> Marissa decides to bail on the Tijuana trip, and I just wrote over and over, TJ, <laughs> TJ. TJ. <laughs> I just hate that they call it TJ right, right. so much. Ryan, meanwhile, working at the Crab Shack, a place where he's gotten a job, I guess because he felt guilty about taking the Cohen's money for everything. That's right. They bought him a bunch of clothes. There's some awkward tension there, though, between a lot of characters. So first we have the awkward tension between Marissa and Holly. That's right. So what we've learned is that during a time period where Luke and Marissa were on the rocks... Luke hooked up with Holly, who is friends with Marissa and Summer. She's never really a main character or anything. She's just in a few She's episodes. Around. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually her dad that punches Marissa's dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it kind of adds to the little feud. There's some tension, obviously, between Marissa and Ryan because there always is. And the last time they really saw each other was when. Marissa came to the pool house where Ryan stays and walked in on him making out with Gabrielle, who on the show is supposed to be much older than Ryan, although in real life I think they were actually about the same oh, wow. age okay. or yeah. close to it. I think Gabrielle was playing her real age and Ryan is playing way younger. Yeah, yeah. Gabrielle was definitely like a number one stunner, though. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, you can understand Marissa being a little bit intimidated by that well, situation. They pointed out several times in this episode where Marissa calls her a woman. Yeah. Because he's like, you were jealous or you were mad you saw me with another girl. And she's like, it wasn't a girl, it was a woman. Yeah. <laughs> this show is great. Yeah. There's so many beautiful women on this show. Like, everybody looks incredible. Right. It is quite a scene it's a lot of eye candy for the (laughs) guys and the gals there's good water in that area seth is pathetically waiting for summer to notice him just sitting there summer is wrapped up in everything else trying to figure out how she's getting to tijuana doesn't seem to have her own car for some reason also for popular kids doesn't seem like they have a lot of other friends maybe they're just so elite yeah that's true (laughs) it's hard to break into that circle Look, they didn't want to have to introduce like even more people. No, I know. Well, the th- the idea is like the guys are going down early. They try to explain all this stuff in throwaway lines of yeah, dialogue. Yeah. We're like, oh, the guys are going early for that initiation. Right. They never explain what that even is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Doesn't matter. They're just like, all right, well, Luke is going with these other dudes. Holly's car is already full, apparently, because Summer was planning on going with Marissa. Now Marissa's not going. Okay, so... Just like every other episode of The O.C., this episode is split up between the kids and the adults. The adults are far less interesting, although, of course, I'm very attracted to Julia Cooper and Kirsten. What's not to like? But storyline-wise, kind of a snooze. But we'll just go through this stuff a little bit quickly when it pops up. This episode is our introduction to Rachel, who works in a big-time law firm, and she's essentially headhunting Sandy, who she knew from when she worked in the public defender's office. She's trying to recruit him to her law firm. This will be ongoing for a few episodes. And then this is all slowly building towards a big manhunter arc (laughs) where she's on the prowl, basically trying to break up Sandy's marriage. I I just love these wealthy, (laughs) fiercely independent women on this show. 
poof. Yeah. She's like, I want to fuck Sandy Cohen for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> his giant eyebrows. <laughs> so I'm going to just try to split up his marriage. This doesn't happen in this episode, but this is like the start of that. Planting the seed. The show dynamic, I would say, was probably about 70% teens, 30% adults. Right. Although sometimes even more than 30%, and those episodes would be rough. Yes. Holly finds a minute with Luke to make it clear that she's coming for him. Because <laughs> Luke's still planning the, on going to Tijuana. The women in this region. It's just like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I gotta tell you, I never really had this experience in my life. No. Most would be like, please don't come to Tijuana. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most would treat me the way that Summer treats Seth, but with no hope of it ever turning right, around. <laughs> right, <laughs> Just complete That's disgust yeah. and disdain. Although by this point, I do think it's an act with Summer, because I think the kiss was like unlocking something, and now she's just trying to fight it. I think she has changed at this point. Okay, yeah. Although she pushes it a little far in the car a couple times. Yeah. But I think she's just really dragging her feet. Like she's she like, I does- cannot do this. <laughs> but <laughs> this I is gonna to. be a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but he knew my poem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So Summer's stranded, and this is the opportunity for Seth because Seth wants to go to Tijuana. They have the plan with Ryan, so this opens up a chance for him to ask her to go. And I did find it weird that Summer shows up at the Cohens. Like, I guess she was dropped off at the Cohen's house. Remember how that cuts where yeah, she's, she's just, just there with her suitcase? The Considering the lie that they're telling Seth's parents, it does why wouldn't like they, they just pick her up? I know. It does seem like this could have fucked up the whole plan, and it almost does. Yeah. Because, I mean, they didn't tell Summer what the cover is. And they don't even seem worried when she almost blows Yeah, up. I know. Like, they're just like, whatever. <laughs> the stakes are so low. No one's going to listen to what this girl says. Yeah, Sandy's too busy calling her hot every five <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I did catch that it's in the multiple episodes. Yeah, two different times. It's like, all right, dude, relax. <laughs> yeah. She's a teenager. <laughs> Take it easy. Imagine they tried to lawyer. sneak something like that into a show now. Yeah. Good Lord. Yeah, he called her hot stuff in this episode. Marissa's dad essentially forces her to go to TJ <laughs> because he needs to hide his shame. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, no, you have to go. <laughs> Not only tells her she has to go, he's like straight up a dick to her. It almost like shames her for wanting to stay. Yeah. He's like, I can't take care of both of us. I was kind of like, what does that sense. mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, you know that I'm like almost an adult, right? Wait, but you also know that I am your child. It is like <laughs> kind of your job to take care of me. <laughs> oh, God. So somehow, in spite of everything... The gang's all heading to Mexico together. We have Seth, Summer, Marissa, and Ryan. Much to Ryan's shock when Marissa gets in the car. So, this is why I love this episode in particular. I feel like it's a shift in the dynamic, especially the continued evolution of Summer. I think this episode has the perfect blend of comedy and also the -the over-the-top drama that we all love. And it ends in, in an insane way. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is the episode where it's confirmed that Marissa has got a little streak of Laura Palmer in her. That's right. And it's just dying to get out. Yep. (laughs) But yes, I love the Summer and Seth dynamics. When I think about the OC, I picture a lot of the scenes from this episode in particular. Yeah. Some of which are about to happen here soon. So we check in with Kirsten and Jimmy. 
they have a backstory that predates the show. Kirsten dated Jimmy before Jimmy got married to Julie and before Kirsten was with Sandy. You kind of want to think their whole thing is weird, but they also like hit you over the head with it like so much. He lives next door to her. <laughs> he clearly is in love with her. Yeah, yeah. Julie even seems to sort of know that. A- right. and it's Everyone kind of talks about overhanging it. Yeah. it. The one episode where Sandy and Jimmy are hanging out, they both basically say the best year of their life was the year that they met Kirsten. <laughs> that That's an unbelievable I scene. I fucking loved that. Yeah. <laughs> I almost choked. <laughs> Spit take. This is definitely a one for us yeah, episode. Yeah, right. <laughs> I doubt that anyone's getting as much joy out of this as we are. I don't care. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> we didn't download the Fly episode. Really? So they're painting Jimmy's new bachelor pad, Kirsten and Jimmy. And eventually this builds to an ill-conceived kiss attempt by Jimmy where he yeah, makes like a move I, I got to tell you, Kirsten does kind of linger there a little too long. When he actually moves in for the kiss, you know, she pulls away pretty quickly, but she kind of like hangs there with his hand on her waist for... Oh, when, yeah, when she's getting down the ladder. It's like an extended period of time. Yeah. There's definitely that air of familiarity, maybe a little bit too much flirtation. I, well, you know what? I was driving me nuts when she's on top of the ladder. <laughs> so it's just getting like so emotional about it. She has this opportunity to kind of shut him down. I mean, he's given the whole spiel about like, well, you know, you ever have any second thoughts? You ever think about like what would happen if you and I stayed together? And instead of being like, no, I don't think about that. I'm happily married. She, she tells goes, the truth. Sometimes. Well, that's something that they always dangled in front of the audience. I think even beyond just these first, you know, seven to ten episodes, I think throughout at least the parts of the show that I watched, full disclosure, I've never seen past season two of the show. (laughs) Matt's never really seen past season one. Right. But it's too much. I think they always like to dangle that carrot out there about Sandy and Kirsten's marriage. Yeah. I don't know why. I guess they were just looking for sources of drama for the show, but they don't want to make it seem like it's impossible this early in the show's run. They right, want to like throw right. stuff out there to get people hooked in. They want to make the adults seem more interesting than they are. I never really think that they're that interesting. I don't really care, but like, except for Julie Cooper, who I find oh, yeah. immensely entertaining. Endlessly watchable. Yeah, the thing with Julie Cooper is she also is from a lower class area like chino she's she's got like a similar backstory yeah and so she's terrified that this life that she's built for herself in newport beach is going to be torn away from her it's actually a very intriguing character yeah (laughs) she really has like no allies either everything she does is sort of like a political move (laughs) we should just turn this into like a Julie Cooper appreciation podcast. <laughs> I know, she is great. I'm a big Melinda Clark fan. I love her in Return of the Living Dead 3. And I have that Vestron video Blu-ray. And I love that yeah, she was on the bonus features, like being interviewed about this movie. <laughs> I just fucking loved it. I was like, man, she's the best. It is a good one. And from all indications, she found it difficult to play like this kind of a bitch. She doesn't seem like that kind of a person in real life. That's how great of an actress she is. <laughs> She's also in one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld. She's like the Daniel Day-Lewis of this show. <laughs> 
She's in the Muffin Tops episode. Okay. She's on the yeah. America bus tour with Jerry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Any hot chick from the 90s who made their way onto Seinfeld is a winner in my book. I think that's fair. We should be there in like three hours. The GPS says the ETA is three and a half. Well, that's because someone drives like an old woman. I'm going 70 and it's 65. 80 is the new 70. What? Who talks like that? Who gets passed by a van full of nuts? Oh, wait, who, common nuts. Well, they have God on their side, Summer, okay? I'm not going to be Jesus. I'm going to call Holly and see how far ahead of us they are. And she's a girl. That's weird, the insulting to your own gender. Not as insulting as it is you. Point taken. No, thanks. I'll take it. I'm so dehydrated. What is up with the AC? My hair is frizzing out. I look like Howard Stern. See, strangely, I feel like my Jufro benefits from this climate. You're Jewish? Yes. That's why I feel so comfortable in this desert heat. God, this is a nightmare. I'm sweating to death, driving 10 miles an hour. I'm like a rickshaw listening to this music. Hey, do not insult Death Cab. It's like one guitar and a whole lot of complaining. It reminds me of someone else who's doing a whole lot of complaining. Summer. You, now listen to me. I am driving this vehicle, and I'm going to drive at the speed that I feel comfortable, okay? It's my music. It is my snacks. Kudos and goldfish. What are you, eight? Ryan, Marissa, say goodbye to Summer. What are you doing? You can get the side of the road. No, 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 no. Don't touch the wheel. Do not. Seth and Summer... Their whole road trip dynamic is nonstop bickering. They're like an old married couple. It's endlessly entertaining. Although there is a part where she talks about her hair frizzing like Howard Stern. Yeah. And he says that it's good for his Jufro. Right. And she's like, you're Jewish? In like yeah. a disgusted voice, which I was like, good grief. I know. Well, <laughs> Although I mean, in real definitely... life, I think Rachel Bilson is Jewish, but still. I, I mean, there's definitely some over the line things. I mean, our words are just being thrown out. In episodes. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah. In one of the... I think in episode one or two. Oh, okay. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There was a an R-bomb. <laughs> I love how we're at that point. Yeah. <laughs> in Scott Pilgrim, where I was like, oh, wow, I oh, forgot about right. that. Yeah. Yeah, I know that, obviously, Seth is based off of Josh Schwartz. I think people sort of yeah. accept that. And Josh Schwartz is Jewish. Seth is Jewish. And so he probably thought that that was funny. But still, I think that... Yeah having a character say that now in sort of a disgusted voice. I don't think right. that's making it onto a anti Semitic Fox show. It's from Newport Beach. <laughs> this anti Semitic dits. <laughs> <laughs> that's like when they were doing the casting call for summer. <laughs> this is the first time Death Cab appears well it doesn't appear, but you hear them on the show as they're driving to TJ. They would sort of become the emblematic band of the show over the years that's right because i guess adam brody was like such a big fan def cab became much bigger obviously after 2003 but yeah, yeah. i don't think a ton of people knew them back then right. I, don't, I don't even think i listened to them at that at that point yet same <laughs> i would say I, and i'm I like the barometer yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> no i just mean i don't think a lot of people knew them yet they would blow up to be much bigger after this, they went on to do like a like a real studio album. Yeah, I love that Summer says something like, "What does she say? Like a guitar and a bunch of whining." Yeah, <laughs> just pretty much nailing it. Yeah, blazing. All right, 
We gotta pick the pace up. This episode is gonna be way too long <laughs> oh boy. for this subject matter. <laughs> the bickering escalates to the point where Seth is saying, <laughs> "I love this because I can see me doing this too and being completely serious." Where he's saying he's pulling over to kick Summer out of the car, <laughs> and then she grabs the wheel. The car swerves wildly and then goes down a hill. He almost seems like he's gotten like too comfortable though, because. You're obsessed with this girl. You finally like get a little something going. I just still feel like you'd be so like nervous. Yeah, it is a little out of character for him. He like slides right into just being like so nonchalant about everything. Well, I guess she's just pushed him to the edge. I mean, yeah. she did basically like act disgusted that he was Jewish. That's right. Like, two yeah. minutes before this. Yep. So yes, yeah, so we have a car accident. <laughs> Somehow they break the axle, which they just basically <laughs> refer to in a line of dialogue right. and then move on yeah, from yeah. like, oh, okay. Long story short, they're spending the night in some seedy roadside motel. Oh man, what a dump this place is. Summer asks, do we have to pay extra for the pubes? <laughs> Pretty interesting line. So a lot of great stuff springs out of this little mini hotel stay I w- on the way I-, I wanted to see the discussion about the sleeping arrangement yeah i feel like we jumped over something although seth and summer have their own yeah that's right but it, yeah a larger one because you would have thought that like one of the why gr- aren't the girls bunking together yeah you would have thought the girls would have thrown that out yeah <laughs> that wasn't even on the table no no <laughs> okay the first scene that we have that's great is the vending machine scene, which we've already referenced. It's just an unbelievable few minutes here between Ryan and Marissa. Just heated drama. I just wrote in my notes, one of the best scenes of all time. What I don't know it? if I meant in just anything or <laughs> just the, the OC. The or the cheese sticks? Ding-dongs. Ding-dongs, the cheese sticks. At one point when they're discussing their, I, I don't know, their relationship or lack thereof marissa's just like fine after this we can split up and we never have to speak to each other again (laughs) (laughs) they live next door and are gonna be going to the same school yeah i've had some of those conversations (laughs) and then she's like all right well did you ever wonder why i came to the pool house that night and before she even like finishes the last syllable this is great every day (laughs) (laughs) so why don't you tell me just the brooding intensity yeah, yeah, yeah. of Ryan here. And it is all framed around an absurd decision of whether they're going to buy cheese sticks or ding-dongs. I didn't really know what they meant by cheese sticks and what kind I of cheese sticks would be like, in there. Like with the powdery cheese. Oh, Cheetos. Yeah, yeah I like Cheetos. Those. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I was picturing. It can't be like string cheese or something. Like in I don't a know. Vending machine. I don't know what it was. What did you think about summer sleeping attire? I thought it was a bit much for the hotel that they're in. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, it was a bit much for a trip to TJ yeah, in yeah. general. Right. I, I, my reaction was good grief. Yeah, I know. Until <laughs> <laughs> he fell out of my chair. I would have just had a heart attack. Yeah. <laughs> she comes walking out in that thing. I don't even know how to describe it. It's almost like a negligee. Like a sexy nighty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see why when I was like 18 years old, I was just like I know. losing my mind over this show. Well, it seems crazy that. Seth isn't losing his mind more. There's like an undersell here. Well, he's doing a good job of portraying like just how annoyed he is with her. Like yeah. this isn't even breaking that down. Right. This display. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they do have a, a brief fight over the sleeping arrangement. 
There are no offers to sleep on the floor, a la Halloween 3, though. (laughs) And then somehow both of them magically fall asleep super quickly, just in time to not be a part of what comes next, which is when Ryan and Marissa are walking back to the room and Jimmy Cooper calls Marissa to break the news to her. D-I-V-O-R-C-E. That's right. Just such a classy move, calling her in the middle Kirsten of the night. Kirsten yeah. insisted that he do this, Well, though. that's true, yeah. It does seem like he should have told her before she left, and then once he didn't do that, then the logical thing is, well, he's going to just have to wait till she comes back. I think doing it over the phone is insane. I agree. And I don't know why Kirsten thought this was a good idea. But it is also insane to think of her just coming back to like all this stuff being gone. That's fucking weird, too. I know, but... No, I'm with you. He definitely messed this up. Yeah, it's pretty cowardly to do it over the phone. It's like, have a fun trip, daughter. Yeah. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Have a nice life. (laughs) (laughs) Your mom's a real bitch. You know that, right? (laughs) Although Marissa does know that. In fact, I think Marissa calls her a bitch a lot. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think Jimmy ever does. (laughs) Marissa and Ryan are going to sleep on this pull-out couch while Summer and Seth are on the bed, and... Ryan is unsure of what to do. He definitely overheard everything, and he says, like, sorry, but he doesn't really put his arms around her or anything. But then they wake up in the morning where he's, like, holding on to her. That's right. His morning wood just, like, pushing up against her. Some spooning going on. (laughs) Which she doesn't seem to mind, even though she's back with Luke. No. What do you think Luke would think about all this? I don't think he'd be a fan. Especially since him and Ryan have already fought each other like 16 times at this point. Yeah, and it happens again in this episode, and I'll wait till we get to it, but I have some thoughts on this one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's about time you jumped in. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm Bob Uecker in Major League, and you're that guy that never says anything. <laughs> That's really the dynamic of this podcast. I thought it was more like the commentators from Angels in the Outfield, where it's just like the one dude talks all the time, and when the other guy tries to flip himself on to talk, he's like, easy. <laughs> Less is more and, like, turns his mic back off. I don't even remember that. I need to rewatch that movie. Yeah, that's right. It's been a long time. Isn't it weird that they're just like, Tony Danza's going to be dead? (laughs) That is crazy. Like, what? I've always thought that is insane about that movie. (laughs) What a bizarre kids movie. Yeah. Really. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's pitching a complete game tonight, but he's going to die in three months. Like, it's so nuts. (laughs) You're like, oh, really? Is there anything you can do to stop it, Angel? No. no. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah. It's like after Marissa had sex with Luke. It's too late. <laughs> okay, so finally we're at one of the iconic OC scenes for me, which is the Seth summer breakfast scene. I always think of this scene where they're sharing the newspaper. Yeah. Like an old married couple. I do kind of want this scene to just be my life. Like eating at places no like this. Yeah. <laughs> I do love whenever they do start talking and Summer's still sort of giving him the cold shoulder. Seth just lays out his case like a lawyer of oh, like why she should be with him now and like why she likes him. Yeah, this is a move that I found not to work. <laughs> He's like, let me just exhibit A, yeah. <laughs> the kiss by the pole. Using logic to explain to someone why they should be into you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so... You wanna? Yeah. Think we should have woke Ryan and Marissa? No. They look so cute together. Vomit. 
Hey, it's a real sentimental streak you got there, Summer. Trouser it, Cohen. It's too early for your so-called comedy. You enjoy my comedy. You know what else I think you enjoy? Me. Well, that's because you're mentally unstable. Be that as it may, I think the facts speak for themselves. Might I remind you of a little something that I like to call the time that you kissed me by the pool at my grandfather's birthday party. What are you talking about? Okay, I know that denial is a very uh, powerful coping mechanism, but I just think, Summer, that it's time we paid lip service to our lip service. Two words. No. Tongue. Well, you did agree to take this little trip with me down Mexico way. I needed a ride. We shared the same bed. I wasn't gonna sleep on that couch. It smelled like these eggs. You ate my toast, Summer. I like crusts, Seth. Face it. Our chemistry is undeniable. You know what else is undeniable? What? The pain this fork is gonna cause when I jam it into your eye. I suffer from rage blackouts. I'm gonna get the check. Summer, for her part, tells Seth that she suffers from rage blackouts, which I think is supposed to be a joke I or play for laughs. As she's joking. You think that she... It's no, no, thing? not that she's serious, but oh. that... This is supposed to be funny. Okay. Because well, I was yeah, like, it's... it's so not funny. Right, that that's true, yeah. That it just, it's such a swing and a miss that I almost felt like, well, are they being serious? Yeah. Because <laughs> it felt more likely that they were being serious than they thought that that would be funny. Well, and it even becomes a runner in the episode. Yeah, does it ever come up again? I don't think after this. Summer rallies Marissa to continue on to TJ despite the bad news, because what the fuck is the point of driving back there now? In the middle of your dad moving out, a lot of repeating of the phrase TJ over and over. <laughs> Just can't let that go. Okay, so as I mentioned, Rachel Bilson, Melinda Clark have a podcast called Welcome to the OC Bitches. And they have different guests on. In this episode, I think they had the editor on, which I'll talk about that in a little bit. But no Julie Cooper at all in this episode, by the way. We yeah, haven't shocking. actually pointed that out. Melinda Clark did talk about going to Tijuana as a teenager in the 80s. Talked about how they would go down with like 10 bucks in their pocket and be able to drink all night and have tacos and everything. Bet there was a lot of good times. But that when you go down there, they do have that scam where you get arrested and you have to like basically bribe them to let you out. That's why they have that big sign that they show. That's also in the movie Losing It. Yeah, because that is a real thing. Yeah, they yeah. have that sign at the beginning of this, ep- or be- not the beginning of the episode, but the beginning of when they're in Tijuana, right? which is obviously not really t- Tijuana, as we find out. And it was confirmed on the podcast that this was a backlot set. I okay. think that's pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah but I would say so. They did say that. But yeah, I was a little disappointed that they didn't really go through the episode as detailed as we are. They just sort of gloss over it like normal people (laughs) instead of breaking it down. Where's the passion? Yeah. (laughs) There's some interesting insights from the editor that we'll get to later for some specific scenes coming up. So they just throw in these little plot details here and there to move things along and to set stuff up later so that you can't really question what's happening. So. As soon as they're in Mexico, Summer's like, I need to go to the pharmacy to get my stepmom painkillers. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I Well, I was still questioning this. But <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't show it happening. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It, it does seem crazy, but okay. Marissa makes it clear to Ryan that she's still going to be looking for Luke. Ryan's just like, okay. I'm fine with it. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you were saying all of last night when you were 
backing up into my fucking heart on when we're sleeping together. <laughs> Back to Newport, Rachel and Sandy have this bizarre banter and chemistry. She does seem considerably younger than Sandy, but okay. I do think that these scenes are designed to make the viewer uneasy. As I said, they're definitely wanting to set up the possibility first with Jimmy and Kirsten, now with Sandy and Rachel. The fact that you can see where this might lead down the line is definitely not a negative. I think that that is highly intentional. They want you to see the writing on the wall with this Rachel person. Yes. Ultimately, Sandy will end up taking the job at this law firm. As we alluded to, the first big case is going to be against his own wife. (laughs) (laughs) So stupid. Yeah. (laughs) So the club in Tijuana that they go to is called Boom Boom. And we see everyone taking shots. We see Luke is there with the boys, but also Holly. It just seems crazy. Again, we don't really know how old they are, but people drinking like this in high school, it just seems nuts. I mean, I obviously did my fair share of drinking in high school, but I couldn't like throw back shots like this at like a club, you know? In Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I would be like on the floor, like throwing up by like 8 p.m. You'd be like Ken Marino and party down. That's right. Yeah. Call an ambulance. <laughs> really? You would be Marissa. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's just carrying you out. out. I have to be helicoptered. Mazzy stars playing. Yeah. Holly says, come on, Luke, back that ass up. And I did love that Luke at first is like, no, that's cool. <laughs> just a great response. Right. No, that's cool. <laughs> so they're playing this song throughout this dance sequence at Boom Boom where the lyrics are like, out of control. Mm-hmm which fits with where this all leads and everything. But I guess there was a song change, and it's one of those things where they defined a song that matched up to what everyone was doing because they couldn't clear the original song that they were using (laughs) that everyone was in sync to. Was this a note from the editor? Yeah, they talked about this on the the podcast. The gang arrives somewhere else in the club. Holly and Luke do start grinding on each other, which builds to a full-blown makeout. Luke unable to control himself. And then, of course... Now, did Luke leave off not thinking Marissa was coming? Yes. Okay. He doesn't think Marissa's going to be there. Holly keeps saying that. That's right. Marissa's not even here. Yeah. And then, of course, Marissa, and then Ryan, and then eventually Summer and Seth all spot Luke and Holly mid-passionate kiss. And this is one of the lost things when you're re-watching this on streaming on HBO Max, and there's no commercial breaks, because... This is such a great commercial break fade right, right here. Right. That shocked look on Marissa's face. Yeah. Fade commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I want to have to sit through commercial breaks, but there is sort of an artistry to where you put them. I know. And it's so weird <laughs> watching them where it's just like black for like two seconds and then back into the scene. What are you doing? How know. could I'm you? Sorry. What? You got caught? Don't ever talk to me again. You're such a bitch. Please. He hooks up with everyone. Shut up. Freshman girls, girls from modern day, girls from UCI. Is that true? Marissa, everyone knows. Everyone. Now you do too. You're so mean. Summer, I am honest. Parents are getting divorced, you stupid slut. Walk away, Holly. She suffered from rape blackouts. Let her go. This isn't about you. It is now. Get out of my way. You don't deserve her. And so they have a big confrontation. 
I do love that Summer just jumps in immediately and is like, you're such a bitch. Holly. (laughs) Summer's ready to throw down. That's right. This is the full transformation. Her parents just got divorced. (laughs) Like, I didn't want people to know that. Yeah, like, chill, all right? (laughs) Her life is in shambles. (laughs) (laughs) Easy, Summer. She doesn't think that anyone knows, but her life is crumbling. She's a complete wreck. She passes out drunk. She constantly. binge drinks. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jesus. Yeah, this is the full transformation of Summer because I do think that the way she acted in the first episode, where she sort of abandons Marissa, yeah, and just like dumps her out of her car right. and everything. And she seemed like very chummy with the Hollies of the world. I, oh, yeah. I I do think that she's just completely changed, and she's a much more appealing character now. Yeah, I'd say so. Holly says, "Please." He hooks up with everyone. And Luke, <laughs> Luke says, "Shut up." Yeah. <laughs> and then Holly proceeds to list all of the types well, of people. He does. Yeah, but which I like that that's Holly's defense. And it's a whole sordid scene with. Big Luke, I guess. He's been hooking up with freshmen at all the different high schools and colleges in the area or whatever. I don't even know what. She's listing other places. I guess that those are like other real life high schools in the OC. It's as Newport far Beach outside area. of my world but as I don't possible. Know. I did look up. I was like, well, how far is Newport Beach from like Los Angeles? And it's like, it's over an hour drive. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really know what that has to do with anything. I don't, why'd you bring it up? <laughs> everyone knows. Everyone. Summer then pushes Holly, only to be pulled back by Seth, who's like, back away, Holly. She suffers from rage blackouts. Yeah, I know. See? I think after this episode, people were like telling Josh Schwartz, stop trying to make rage blackouts funny. Because <laughs> it's not. Music swirling, intensifying. Ryan punches Luke, because of course. Yeah, I think that it's weird that Ryan punches Luke here. He it is. Well, Ryan does a couple of shady things in the next few episodes. Yeah. The slide tackle. That's right. Yeah. He definitely takes some cheap shots when he can. Yeah. It's not always like he's the innocent no, one. No, no. He. I felt like he was out of line, really, with this punch on Luke. I'm going to say he's less out of line than the slide tackle. The slide tackle, I forgot about that. That's like dirty move of the cinch. And it's unjustified. Yeah. And it's out of nowhere. And it, and he's just mad that, like, Luke was crying. I don't know. Like, he has no reason to really be even mad. In this, he's, like, That would definitely be a up. straight red card, three-game suspension. <laughs> In this episode, he's pissed because he hurt Marissa. So, yeah, I don't think he should have punched him, but I think it's, like, more justified than yeah. the slide tackle, which is definitely unjustified I, all agreed. around. Yeah. And he ends up apologizing for that. Yeah. We're talking about something that happened in like episode <laughs> 11 or something. Like we're way down the yeah, line yeah. now. <laughs> Marissa runs out of the club and back to the motel. And this is where editor Matt Ramsey, who was a guest on the Welcome to the OC Bitches podcast, was talking about one of his regrets. Because he said he was pretty pleased. This was one of his first editing gigs. And he's like, I thought I was going to be horrified, but I thought it was edited pretty well. But he wasn't happy that the music from the club holds over to when Marissa's alone in the sad motel scene. He thought that it should have just been like silent. Yeah. I kind of agreed with him, although it did seem to be in style for TV at the time to have that like reverberating music, like linger for a minute from scene to scene. It definitely is how like TV looking back or the editing choices of an episode of the OC. 
Well, I think that's a big part of how the shows look and feel. That's and true. Ultimately, Absolutely. how they come yeah. across. I sort of forgot that Summer comes back and finds Marissa here at this point. Not that like I would have every episode well, of the show memorized, but I definitely thought that it was one straight line out of the club to like only together again so briefly. Yeah, but she has a chance to like latch onto her and she blows it. Yeah, I know. I thought Marissa was MIA until the end of the show, but that's not what happens. She's here. It's all hitting Marissa all at once. I have no one, she says. And I did think it was weird that Matt Ramsey said that Josh Schwartz showed him the Tom Cruise overdose from Vanilla Sky and was like, I want it to look like this. Because when I was rewatching this episode, I was like, it doesn't seem like anything like that. So I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> because Summer is in the room and Marissa just sneaks off with the pills. Right. You never see her take the pills. No. In Vanilla Sky, he goes into the bathroom and he like looks in the mirror and his face is all fucked up and he like falls on the floor in the bathroom. I'm like, nothing is the same. What are yeah, you talking about? Maybe it was just a vibe, a vibe thing. It was a Vanilla Sky vibe. Everyone was talking about Vanilla Sky during the early 2000s. Yeah. <laughs> Summer is tech support. As we talked about in the Vanilla Sky episode, it was surprisingly a really big movie. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people knew about it. A lot of people saw it. Summer goes into the bathroom and Marissa spots those painkillers hanging out of Summer's purse when Summer calls Seth and Ryan to come back. Next thing she knows, Marissa has run off, taking the pills with her. When the guys arrive, the three of them search the streets of TJ, trying to find her. It seems virtually impossible that they would ever find her. In fact, the way that they find her seems so fake and silly looking. <laughs> There's like no one else around all of a sudden. Well, I, I love that the streets are packed with people, yet this bar. Marissa managed to find the one bar that there's no one at. Yeah. She goes into this dark and lonely bar. There's a potential real bad scene there with some old dudes. I don't know what they're insinuating. A bad scene is brewing as three just like old ass busted dudes hang out and linger. Are they trying to like get us freaked out for like a a gang rape scenario or what are they they even implying? They're definitely trying to get us freaked out. I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't know what's being implied here, but it's not good. She stumbles out and passes out in an alley. Next thing you know, Mazzy Star kicks in. Uh, there we go. We're home. Into Dust. That's right. Which, to be honest, the musical choices for this episode of the podcast are probably going to be exactly the same as they were five <laughs> years ago when we did the OC because either the same songs. Yep. <laughs> but it's so good. Into Dust is such a great song. Mazzy Star is so great. I think... Because of the explosion of the internet, I mean, obviously people have the internet in 2003, but because of like streaming services and just music being like more known, I think like Mazzy Star is probably more appreciated now, but this was like definitely helping expose them to a bigger audience because definitely. I think people knew who they were in the early 90s, but they had they like really a couple albums on. and then, yeah. yeah, it sort of, I remember there was like Fade Into You was like in a commercial or something at one point. Wow. These were the things that people would latch on to for us Mazzy Star stands. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, it's awesome. They somehow find her. Ryan picks her up and carries her corpse, just like the first episode of the show when they toss her drunk ass into her driveway, and then he has to like pick her up and carry her. Although yeah. I think he picks her up and brings her to the 
pool house. Well, she he? looks like so much taller than him that it it just looks awkward. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. And not to spoil the entire run of the OC, <laughs> you're but gonna ruin this for a lot of people. This is foreshadowing, I guess. Although they didn't know it at the time, but they replicate this look after the car crash that kills Marissa at the end of season three, yeah. when Misha Barton wanted off the show, which. Even just knowing that they do that without even having ever seen that episode just annoys me to no end because it sort of makes all that come before it seem pointless. Because sure. even in the reality of the show, so what, he knows Marissa for a couple of years and then she just dies? I know. Like, what was this all for then? <laughs> now they can't even do a fucking revival. God damn it. Well, they should do a thing like Halloween, whatever. They're like, all right, seasons three and four didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing a revival that picks up only seasons one and two ever happen. Reimagining. <laughs> Somehow, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, Misha doesn't seem super thrilled with her OC days no. anymore. And ultimately, if we're going to jump ahead into episode eight, there's really minimal fallout for everyone except for Marissa. And the fallout for her comes directly from her mother, who tries to put her into... An For institution, really. A guy like Ryan, who it always seems like he's on his last straw or whatever, the stakes are kind of shockingly low. Like, nothing ever yeah, really... It, it doesn't seem like the Coens would buy it that it was Seth's idea, even though it was, and the viewer knows that. Right, right. But, I mean, wouldn't they be like, we brought this kid into our house... And now, now Seth's going to TJ. Yeah. And this bitch is ODing in the streets. I know. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what Julie's And I gotta is. tell you... When I was a kid and watching this show, I 100% bought the Coens like, being like, oh, Ryan's a good kid. We see the good in him. It's a lot harder for me to see that now. Like, I don't really know. He doesn't. I'm like, how can they see this? He doesn't really seem that great. I think Seth was just such a loser that they were, like, getting afraid. They were like, we need him to have a friend. Seth's That's really going to commit a Columbine if we don't get him yeah, a friend. <laughs> That's right, yeah. I do view it that way now. It was way more about just having... <laughs> a friend for Seth than taking this kid off the street. Oof. Yeah. But it's a TV show. They just had to keep it moving. Yeah, sure. But yeah, I think the way that shows are now, like, not only was there 27 episodes in the first season, but just building up to Marissa's overdose, they would linger on this in a show now. Like, this would be the whole show. Right. The whole season would be building towards this. Instead, it just gets brushed aside pretty quickly for the next thing. It's always the next thing with yeah. the show, which is weird, but you kind of got used to it back then, like the rhythm of it. Yeah, this, the season finale would probably be Marissa overdosing and Seth and Summer kissing. <laughs> that that yeah. would be like the finale of season one. I do think that they took a, a little bit of a break here, and when they came back after Marissa's OD, they had like a huge ratings jump. There were a couple times during the first season where they would do a cliffhanger or something yeah. and the ratings would spike upwards when they came back. The first season was very successful, and the second season was not quite as successful, but it was still pretty good. The third season, things started to really fall, and then when they killed Marissa off, that last season, it's like a fraction of where they were in the first season with the the viewers. Although now, the ratings for the fourth season would be like higher than anything that's on TV now. <laughs> yeah. But that's just how it was. All right. So that's the OC, bitches. Wow. Always <laughs> fun to return to the world. Yeah. We definitely used to do a lot more TV. 
I think when we started, we were like, we need to do a TV themed episode like once a month or once every other month. And now we do like maybe two or three a year. Yeah. There's just not that much. And I don't like TV as much as I like movies. And our TV choices are all old. It's not like we're doing stuff from like the last few (laughs) years. We're always like, here's an episode that aired in like 1997 from the (laughs) X-Files. And people are like, oh, great. I'll tell you this. I'd rather do another uh, episode of OC than Breaking Bad. Ooh. <laughs> How about that? Welcome to the OC, bitches. All right. <laughs> Just end the episode right there. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of Gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. Okay, so let's do recommendations. Do you have any? I have nothing. Oh. All I've been watching is the OC. Bitches. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then I'll do two real quick. I was just going to do a book, but I'll do a book and a movie. I don't know. I feel like I've been pushing books now, although this is only the second time recently. But I was telling you about this book. Yeah. For those of you interested in the Manson murders, anything to do with Sharon Tate, Charles Manson, any of that shit. If you were a fan of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think it's sort of a good companion. If you've read Helter Skelter by Vincent Bugliosi, which is the biggest selling true crime book of all time about those murders, the end of the 60s, everything, then I think you need to read Chaos, Charles Manson, The CIA, and The Secret History of the 60s by Tom O'Neill with Dan Pipe and Bring. Just a giant book. A lot of this, though, is like acknowledgments and notes because everything is detailed as to like where he got the information from. I will say you telling me about the book was very compelling. I was interested. Yeah, I did finally finish it. I would have recommended it on last episode, but I hadn't finished it yet. And I actually like <laughs> embarrassingly like I DM'd Tom O'Neill to ask him a question about the book. <laughs> and he just wrote, wait for book two! Exclamation <laughs> point. Really? Yeah. Wow. But I heard him on... Well, first of all, I heard Quentin Tarantino talking about this book on Joe Rogan's podcast. He also talked about it on, I think, Marin's podcast as well. I was like, I need to read this. I read Helter Skelter a few years before Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out. Got reinterested in all of that time period. Because I had been interested when I was a kid yeah, yeah. in the late 60s. I was like obsessed with that kind of stuff. I definitely felt like there was some unanswered questions in Helter Skelter. I was like, well, wait a minute. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't quite make sense or it's not explained. I wanted to know more. I think Tom's book completely blows apart a lot of what we thought we knew about the Manson murders, the motives, what happened, reasons behind things. There's a whole secret history, as he puts it, involving the CIA. It branches off into all crazy directions. He never says anything he can't prove though which is frustrating because you get to the end of the book and you're like well why don't you want to tell us what you think happened but he doesn't do that because he only sticks to what he can prove so he just lays a bunch of shit out there and it's like well here's what i can prove what do you think (laughs) about that and a lot of it does disprove what was said at the manson trial and everything and it's a crazy book because it started as a writing assignment for Premier Magazine in 1999, wow. and it took 20 years, and that and the magazine doesn't even exist anymore. <laughs> and he finally put this book out. Unfortunately, a lot of the people 
who were primary players in the story were alive in 1999 and are no longer alive now, right. like Terry Melcher, who was Doris Day's son, who was the producer that Manson was involved with, like, I can't remember the guy's name, but the guy who owned the house on Cielo Drive, who yeah, was yeah. leasing it to these people, including Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, like Vincent Bugliosi, he was alive up until a few years ago. A lot of these people were alive and now they're dead, and so... A lot remains unknown, but it's still ongoing. I don't want to get into the details. I think people should read this book if they're interested in that stuff. I think it works better if you have read Helter Skelter or at least know the basics about what people think happened and why. Okay. Because for me, remembering Helter Skelter, I found a lot of it very shocking and interesting. I was like, holy shit. But I don't know, if you don't know all that stuff going in, I mean, he does a decent job of explaining, like, this is what they said, and this is why this is wrong, or whatever. Mm. But I think it just is more effective if you kind of have a working knowledge. But yeah, so I recommend that. It does tie in with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which Tarantino's book just came out. Right. I have not read that yet, although I do own a copy. (laughs) Not ready to recommend it yet. Yeah, well, I haven't read it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know when I'm going to read that. (laughs) All right, and so my movie recommendation is A Quiet Place 2, which you can now check Ooh. out on Paramount Plus. Or... We were supposed to go see in the theater last, yeah, last time we weekend. recorded. <laughs> we bailed. We got a pizza instead. That's true, yeah. Sometimes which was better, better. in some way. Yeah. yeah, you can watch it on Paramount Plus if you have that, or you can still see it in theaters. I wouldn't say it's like an A+, and I don't think it's as good as the first one, but it was still pretty entertaining. If you enjoyed the first film, you're probably going to like it. And so I think it's cool that the streaming window has already started. I know a lot of people out there probably don't have Paramount Plus, but... I do. (laughs) Well, we have it for soccer-related reasons. But yes, I have like most of the streaming services at this point. And that was like, oh, well, I have Paramount. Because I just I found out about it just from like an ad on Twitter. It was like, now streaming. I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'll check that out. And I, I didn't regret it. I thought it was pretty fun. So, Chaos by Tom O'Neill. You can buy that on Amazon. I picked up mine at Barnes & Noble. If you're into true crime, if you're into the 60s, Manson, all that shit, it's a very entertaining read. And A Quiet Place 2 on Paramount Plus or still in theaters. There you go. Thank you for listening to the show. Follow us on Twitter, at Pod. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podbean and please give us a rating and review if you can let us know if you'd like a sticker follow us on Letterboxd Zach1983 Matt Crosby and that's it so we're signing off from the OC bitches (laughs) still
sweet. Do we have to pay extra for the pubes? 